Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. Many farmers are no doubt grateful for the rain continuing to fall throughout parts of New South Wales. Although we love the precipitation coupled with the beautiful warm weather, we need to be on the lookout for the potential animal health and nutritional concerns that may develop. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Robert Inglis to talk about this very topic. Rob was raised on his family farm in southern New South Wales and completed a Bachelor of Science and Associate Diploma in Farm Management. Rob worked as an agronomist, farm manager and ruminant nutrition technical officer before assuming his current role as the Livestock Production Manager for Elders. In addition to his work at Elders, Rob works extensively with industry. To date, he has facilitated about 30 lifetime new management groups and collaborated with AWNI and MLA to deliver Redwell Fedwell workshops. And more recently, he now delivers our popular Winning with Wieners workshop. Welcome, Rob, and thank you for joining me on It's Time for You. Thank you, Fiona. Rob, it's such a great season that's being experienced by many, but that brings with it some animal health and nutritional complications, which we need to be mindful of. The big one on most radars at the moment is no doubt some of the clostridial diseases. What should we be looking out for? Right, Fiona, the ones that the two obvious ones are uh, uh, pulpy kidney or intratoxemia, and to a lesser extent, malignant edema or blood poisonings. Dentrotoxemia or pulpy kidney is usually associated or is all often associated with a change in feed conditions. So one of the things we may see this year with the uh, forecast wet summer is, is going from dry, bland, low quality feed to all of a sudden going to high quality, highly digestible green feed. Uh, that sudden change in feed could precipitate uh, a pulpy kidney outbreak, if you like. So uh, this is a timely reminder that if we do have sheep that are changing feed or if you are moving sheep from dry feed onto loosen or to perennial pastures, that sudden change in feed, feed conditions can precipitate uh, pulpy kidney. The problem with the pulpy kidney vaccine is it, it, is, it, it covers sheep for 12 months for in, in a moderate challenge, but if we have a high challenge, uh, like changing suddenly from one feed to another, then can, that can precipitate a pulpy kidney problem. So that's the main one. The second one we need to be mindful of is is is, enter, is uh, malignant edema, uh, particularly with rams. If rams are fighting, they can get bruising and, and wounds around their pole, which can manifest as blood poisoning or result in blood poisoning. But the other one that's probably more on the radar this year would be fly strikes. So not the fly strike itself, but the, the resulting wounds after the fly strike that can 
result in blood poisoning. So the, the fifth antigen or the sixth antigen, depending which vaccine you use for malignant edema, will cover them for blood poisoning or protect them against blood poisoning. You just mentioned how important vaccinations are then. How important is it to know your vaccination program and get all those priming vaccine, vaccination shots correct? Yeah, good question, Fiona. So the vaccine works best, these clostridial vaccines work best, or any vaccine for that matter, when you give the primer and the booster within six weeks. So Matt Playford has a very good analogy for the first vaccine. The first vaccine really just alerts the army. It gets it, it primes the, the forces, if you like, to be ready for an attack. It's the second vaccine that, that fills the uh, that fills the the, the antibody will. Um, so that gives you that prolonged protection. So the first vaccine is is a primer, and as the name suggests, it just primes the, the immune system for the booster vaccine, which is the one that builds up the antibody levels to protect them from the from the disease. So the first vaccine is really just a, a priming vaccine to, to alert the immune system of uh, an impending challenge or a booster. And you touched on just there before that the six in ones and seven in ones, they obviously cover more clostridial diseases. If you're not using them yet and you're moving up from a three in one, do you have to do the priming vaccinations again? You do, unfortunately, Fiona, yes. So every time you introduce a new antigen, you have to you have to use or have to give it a booster dose. So if you are switching from three in one to five in one or six in one or from a, as some people are, switching from a five-in-one to an eight-in-one, which has an additional two uh, intratoxemia antigens, you have to give the two vaccinations. You must give the primer and the booster. So every time you introduce a new vaccinate, or a new antigen rather, you need to give the two shots. Right. Thanks, Rob. Rob, warm, wet weather means parasites, both internal and external parasites. Do you think that this is going to be a bad season for internal parasites? Uh, it will, unfortunately, Fiona. Uh, what, what, what we'll see is uh, particularly Barber's Pole. Uh, as we know, once the temperature gets above 18 degrees in the right conditions with moisture and warmth, which is obviously what we're going to see this year, we've got plenty of grass, plenty of protection there for for, uh, for larvae, so if we get the right conditions, uh, i.e. rain and warmth, we'll get uh, significant hatchings of eggs. Those larvae can, can stay or can remain viable on the pasture sward, particularly in a year like this because the pasture is so dense, they can remain on the pasture sward for, for up to six months, so effectively, or up to nine months in some cases, so effectively they can survive a, 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 an egg that hatches in the spring, could survive right through to next autumn. Um, the risk is then, of course, if those larvae are ingested, we get further egg laying, further hatching, and all of a sudden we've got a massive amount of, of, of larval infection on our pastures. And the only thing we can do then is either use a different species, cattle or, or horses or something else. Uh, it, it, those pastures will become ungrazable if we allow those larval numbers to build up to too high a level. And monitoring worm egg counts is obviously really important in managing internal parasites. What, how often do you recommend coming into this season that producers should be doing that? Is there certain times that you're recommending in your areas? 
Yeah, my word, Fiona. So really, if once once sheep, if you put sheep on a pasture, you should probably test at least maybe 21 days after they they're introduced to the pasture. That will give you an indication of, of how many worms were, were on that pasture because it takes roughly 14 to 21 days for those those larvae to reach maturity and start laying eggs. So if you were to do a test two to three weeks after the sheep were introduced to a pasture, that would give you an idea of the level of contamination in that pasture. Um, and with weaners, that's with mature stock or with any sheep, with weaners, you should be testing them monthly because weaners are obviously the, the most susceptible uh, and, and, and numbers can build up very quickly, particularly barber's pole. And if we're not checking regularly, and I want to say regularly, at least monthly, uh, yeah, we might find we're losing animals, uh, yeah, under our very noses. Rob, this year, as our listeners would know at Sheep Connection New South Wales on our webinar and our podcast series, we've been talking a lot about internal and external parasites, but we haven't touched much yet on liver fluke. Do you see that this could be a potential problem for farmers this year? Liver fluke, Fiona, will uh, potentially problematic this year, particularly we have a lot of a lot of stagnant water lying about, a lot of uh, billabongs gullies, uh, there'll be some springs running. So, uh, and being warm and wet, favourable conditions for snail uh, hatching and snail survival. We don't usually see the problem arise until later in, in spring or summer as the dry feed starts, or as the feed in the paddock starts to senesce and go off and they start, the stock start to become attracted to those wetter areas where the, where the feed obviously stays greener for longer and they start grazing around those stagnant water areas or, or springs or, or, or billabongs and things, that's when we can start to see liver fluke rear its ugly head. So not so much of a problem now, but as the feed dries off and as the stocks start to creep into those wetter areas to, to chase the, the more digestible pasture, that's when we may see uh, some liver fluke issues. The best time to, to drench for liver fluke, of course, are at the, uh, at the start and the end of winter. So the old uh, rule of thumb is uh, drench at the first frost and drench again after the last frost. That way you, you're controlling both stages of the fluke. Uh, at, the, at the first frost, you're taking out any immatures that they may have ingested over the summer. And at the last frost, you're killing any adult fluke that may be still alive in the animal uh, and reducing the potential for those animals to lay or to deposit fluke eggs on the pasture that then, then can be picked up by the snail to continue their life cycle. Rob, if we don't routinely drench for liver fluke, as you've just suggested we should be doing, and if we're not from an area that's normally a liver fluke area, how do we know if we have it? Yeah, good question, Fiona. The blood blood test is the only way to discern whether you have liver fluke. So, yeah, if, if you're at all concerned, if you bought stock from a potentially liver fluke infected area, such as, uh, you know, maybe the Tablelands or some of the irrigation areas, which are renowned liver fluke areas, if you've purchased stock from those areas, it would be prudent probably to get a blood test done. The blood test, uh, they, they'll do an ELISA, so they'll, they'll, uh, they'll search for antibodies. If they find antibodies to liver fluke, that, that might be an indicator that those stock have had and could potentially be bringing fluke onto your property. And Rob, I've heard of some tests coming back from across a few areas of high levels of coccidia this year. 
Have you experienced that as well? Yes, Fiona. Yeah, in fact, I was at a property this morning where uh, the, the farmer was losing weaners. Had lost uh, well, probably at least a dozen weaners over the week. During the week, rather, he'd put them onto what he thought was a uh, an adequate pasture. Clearly, it wasn't. Uh, the signs are, are, are pretty easy. They'll scour. It's quite a filthy black scour. They'll lose weight. Um, so it's generally found a function of poor quality pasture uh, with with young weaners, uh, particularly uh, weaners that are below what we call their their target weight for age. So if they haven't achieved a weight where their their rumen is sufficiently developed to produce enough protein to 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 satisfy their immune system, they get immunocompromised and coccidia can tend to take over. So unless they're on, if if they are uh, smaller or, or below that desired weight, uh, insufficient rumen development, insufficient quality in the feed, insufficient immune response uh, or, or the, the immune system's uh, compromised, and that's when we see coccidiosis starting to take over. So it's a, a bit of a trap for young players. I think people are get, it, get a bit lured into a false sense of security. They see so much feed and assume that it's uh, it's tall and it's green, therefore it must be good for sheep. Uh, in a lot of cases, it might be tall, it might be green, but the quality is not is not adequate to sustain um, weaners. And, and that's when we see things like coccidiosis. And later on, uh, pneumonia is another one that, uh, that that can that can cause issues later on through poor quality nutrition. Rob, recently on It's Time For You, we've been talking with Jeff Linden from AWI and Deb Maxwell from Parabos um, a lot about flies on the podcast platform. This year must be going to be a challenge for producers when it comes to flies. Yes, Fiona, it is already. We've already heard reports of um, fly strike and, and fly issues in sheep. I, I think, Fiona, if, if COVID-19 or the coronavirus has taught us anything uh, as farmers, uh, it's taught us how important it is to control the first wave of infection. So it's no different, uh, fly, fly control is no different. If you control the first wave, which is usually in, in early spring, late winter, early spring, and reduce the, the, the fly pressure now, it'll have a significant effect later on. So it's the second wave that usually wreaks the most damage. Um, uh, hence, it's important now to control, yeah, to stop any strike, any fly strike on your property and prevent that second wave. Rob, when you and I were chatting earlier, you mentioned to me that foot rot has already started to become a bit of a problem this year. What should producers be on the lookout for? Yeah, good question, Fiona. There's two two types of foot rot, or one's not a foot rot. It's called strawberry foot rot. It's not actually a foot rot. It's just a, a colloquial term. It's uh, it's caused by the orphirus, uh, dermatitis and the orphirus. So it affects the back of the foot. It does make the sheep quite lame. Uh, we're seeing it at the moment, in, particularly in, in dense clover pastures. Uh, we're seeing quite a bit of uh, strawberry foot rot or, or, or greasy heel is the equivalent in horses. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not um, contagious. Uh, and you'll just see odd sheep with very lame in one foot. If it's the bacterial, the virulent, virulent bacterial foot rot, you should be getting in touch with your vet straight away. Uh, if you see sheep that are lame in more than one foot, uh, and if it's starting, this is a perfect spread period, obviously, warm weather, 
moist conditions in pasture. It's a perfect, uh, perfect uh, scenario, perfect storm, if you like, for, for the spread of virulent foot rot. So if you're seeing sheep that are lame in more than one feet, more than one foot, yeah, I'd be getting them in and getting getting in touch with your LLS vets straight away. There's a on the back of the drought and the season we've been having. There's a lot more trading of sheep from areas um, producers aren't normally trading in. How important is biosecurity with foot rot? It's a good question, Fiona. It's very important. So if you are buying sheep, and I don't care where they're from, uh, there's a perception I think that you know buying sheep from the west uh, is 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 viewed on as being safe. Uh, I can tell you that there are properties uh, in the West there where there has been foot, foot rot in the past. It's one of those diseases. Unfortunately, it's a bit like uh, it's a bit like weeds. You you can never really be sure if you've got on top of it. So if you are buying sheep, even if it's from a, a so-called safe area, I would still be practicing biosecurity and keeping those sheep isolated for at least a what we call a spread period. So for at least the next two or three months, uh, this is a perfect. These are perfect conditions for the spread of foot rot. So if you could get through the next two months until the feed dries off, until the grounds, and if it does indeed, I mean, as I said with the with talk about La Nina, we mightn't see those hot dry conditions that are favourable for controlling foot rot. But I'd certainly, while it's green and 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 warm, you'd be keeping them isolated from the rest of your flock. Until the uh, till the pasture dries out. Rob, I'm mean, getting feedback through our network that some producers, especially down around the Monero region, are having problems with photosensitisation this year. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, Fiona. Yeah, it's a nasty affliction, photosensitisation. I'm sure there wouldn't be too many sheep producers that haven't seen it. I don't think in the last few years. So there are certain weeds that uh, that will predispose sheep. Uh, with uh, or that are responsible, I guess, for photosensitisation. But we've also seen a new one, which is the cow pea aphid. Uh, they had trouble in South Australia a few years ago, and it, it appears that it's been problematic again this year. Uh, the aphid generally attacks stressed plants, so it's a bit like the crow that goes and pecks the eyes out of the sheep that's been lying down for a, for an hour or two. It's a uh, it's a bit of a coup de gras insect so if the plants are stressed enough the aphids attack them uh, which stresses the plant even more stressed plants tend to produce toxins uh, particularly legumes produce toxins those toxins uh, can stimulate photosensitization in sheep so what happens is the liver is compromised it's unable to deal with the toxins the toxins uh, 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 chlorophyll is one uh, lodge in the skin, then effectively the sheep starts to uh, photosynthesize. So it, it, as soon as they are exposed to sun, the sun, um, the, the skin is terribly hypersensitive to ultraviolet radiation. Uh, they get inflamed, any any exposed skin. So it's usually around the face um, is ex that's exposed to the sun gets inflamed and gets terribly, terribly sunburned. Uh, it, it can, in worst case scenario, result in death. Best case scenario, yeah, they'll get, they'll go blind, uh, their eyes get terribly pussy, their ears can fall off. If you do see sheep suffering, uh, the only treatment is to get them out of the sun, get them into shady yards or even in a shed with some hay and water uh, and, and allow them to get over it. Generally speaking, uh, once they've had it, if they've had it badly, uh, it's usually irreversible and they'll, uh, they'll generally be suboptimal producers for the rest of their life. So. 
If you see the symptoms, uh, the symptoms could be slight swelling of the face, slight edema of the face, or, or sheep, you know, running into the shade all the time to seek shelter. That's usually the sign that, yeah, that, that it's that you may be starting to see some photosensitisation. So, best thing to do is get the sheep off that paddock ASAP. Yeah, that doesn't sound very good at all, and be on the lookout for any early symptoms. Absolutely. Um, Rob, with the pastures um, that we've been enjoying in the seasonal break, no doubt the summer weeds are having a lovely time out there as well. What weeds have you been seeing as you've been travelling around New South Wales that we should be concerned about? Yes, Fiona. Uh, well, St John's Wort, I'm starting to see. I'm, I'm based in Wagga, as you know, so in the southern areas of New South Wales, St John's Wort is starting to appear on the side of the roads. So if it's appearing on the side of the roads, I suspect it's probably starting to germinate and come up in some paddocks. It's a nasty one. Uh, hairy panic. Uh, I'm sure everyone unless you've been driving around with your eyes closed, would have seen hairy panic in the last few years. Uh, tumbleweed is often referred to. Uh, it's a, a, an opportunist weed, so wherever you've got bare areas, uh, be it bare paddocks that have been cut for hay or paddocks that have been fallowed, it generally tends to take over. Um, bindi eyes or, 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 or cat heads are another one. Um, and if in further south, uh, later on, uh, there's a weed called lesser loose strife that grows in some of the wet areas that uh, that can be quite toxic as well. The other one that's not so much photosensitisation causing, but uh, it contains alkaloids, which uh, which will also damage the liver, is is heliotrope, and we're starting to see, particularly on fire breaks, and again, it's an opportunist. It comes up where there's no competition. Uh, blue heliotrope. It's a bluey coloured plant, but but again, highly toxic. The good thing, if if there can be a good thing about these plants, Fiona, is they're quite unpalatable. So sheep won't graze them by choice. Uh, they'll only graze them if there's uh, if there's not an alternative feed source. So if you are seeing sheep starting to eat them, if you can't move them off the paddock, which is plan A, then plan B would be to supply uh, some better quality feed to stop them eating stop them eating the toxic weeds. Rob, I had a nutritional lecturer at university and his favourite saying to us all as undergrads was starving in the midst of plenty. There's no doubt there's more feed around this year than the same time last year, but are stock still getting adequate nutrition? No, they're not, Fiona. We must have had the same lecturer. He must have gone to the same school. <laughs> I call that one myself, yeah. No, what, what's happening now is yeah, certainly we've got vast quantities of feed, uh, but yeah, he's quite right, starving in the land of plenty. So what tends to happen is as these grasses, particularly the annual species, uh, go into reproductive phase, and we're actually starting to see it in some of the perennials. I was in a paddock, uh, Phalaris, this morning that's starting to go into reproductive phase, it's starting to run to head. So as these plants go into reproductive phase, the sugars that have been driving livestock production throughout the winter uh, converted into what we call structural carbohydrates, so which enables basically enables the plant to stand up, stand up nice and erect, so it can distribute its seed. So plants really are no different to humans. They've got two basic instincts. That'd be a good name for a movie, wouldn't it? Basic instinct. Um, two basic instincts to survive and reproduce. And at the moment they're in reproductive mode. They're they're 
modus operandi is to, is to is to get a seed up as high as they can so they can spread the seed everywhere. And it's the, the taller the plant, basically, the taller and ranker the plant, the more lignified it is. And lignin is a carbohydrate, which is uh, built out of those sugars that were hitherto soluble, uh, but are now undigestible. So once that plant becomes lignified, the sheep can't digest those sugars and it simply fills them up with uh, undigestible fibre or indigestible fibre uh, and uh, are they either lose weight to the point where they die or they just die of starvation, worst case scenario. And are the effects the same and the concerns about that the same for mature stock versus our immature stock that is still growing quite rapidly? Yes, Fiona. So we're just at the point now, particularly in Western New South Wales, and if I sort of use the Newell Highway as a bit of a dividing line. So I reckon west of the Newell Highway now that the annual grasses have reached the point where they're just adequate to maintain a mature sheep. They're certainly not good enough to, to uh, maintain a weaner or to grow a weaner. Uh, you shouldn't be maintaining. If you've got weaners, if they're not growing, they're dying. Um, I don't know whether your lecturer used that one. Our, our certainly <laughs> did. If they're growing, they're dying. Uh, yeah, so, so yes, at the moment, the, the, the feed has just reached the point where it's, 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 it's adequate, basically, to maintain a mature sheep, but that's it. The rule of thumb, Fiona, is digestibility generally drops. That's assuming we don't get summer rain. Digestibility drops by about a percent a week from now until autumn. So if it's at 60 or 55 percent digestibility now, which is, as I said, then in a month's time it'll be below maintenance. And um, if you don't have your ewes up to uh, you know adequate joining condition now, then you'll you're probably going to have to start supplementary feeding. I should think. So how important is it to be perhaps then conducting some feed tests on that pasture now to determine what's actually on hand for the stock and if we have to act, we can act quickly then? Yeah, very important, very important, particularly for weaners, Fiona. We, there's a, as you probably know, there's, a, there's an expression for every day they lose weight, it takes you three days to get it back again. So if you've got weaners losing weight now, you're adding three days onto their their finishing time or their target weight achieving time. So testing your pastures, probably never been a more important time to test your pastures and, and find out which are the most digestible pastures and using those most or allocating the most digestible feed for the stock that need it most, which is uh, which is your younger your, your stock, younger stock, your weaners or your uh, or your um, replacement new hoggets. And Rob, you just touched on then how important it is that we get our ewes back in condition ready for joining. How important then is it for weaning on time this year? With all the feed around, it must be tempting to leave the lambs on the ewes. It is, Fiona, isn't it? It's quite seductive, I think. People are lured into thinking, or seduced into thinking that, yeah, with all this beautiful green feed around, I can I can leave the lambs on a bit longer. Well, in fact, it's yeah, it, nothing could be further from the truth at the moment, really. Uh, the feed, as we've said, is, is, is going off quite quickly. And if we leave those lambs on those ewes any longer, they will draw condition off those ewes, milk condition off those ewes, which is going to be very difficult to get back on in uh, in late November and, and December. So, so every day you're leaving those lambs on is probably setting you back three days in terms of trying to get condition back on those ewes. So, 
So weaning on time is probably more important in a, in a year like this than it is a year where there's limited nutrition, but the feed is, is of higher quality. Excellent. I think that wraps us up. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for the information you've shared with our listeners and for joining me on It's Time For You. My pleasure, Fiona. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au. Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.